Okay, so we've got a couple of text messages come through here. Um, this person says, I have a cocky that bombs me with bark when I'm in the garden. <laughs> the same one we think that unpegs the washing, dropping wet washing. We think it's a smart bird. Mm. And, you know, this is one of the things that uh, I love about cockies. These are incredibly intelligent creatures and they – oh, by the way, that one that one came through from Freco. Mm. Um, we think that they're in, incredibly intelligent creatures. They learn how to speak and do all that kind of stuff and it just kind of makes me sad when I see them in cages. Yeah. Oh, I just I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, just, it's just me. It's just Mm-mm-mm. me. I just feel a bit sad about that. But anyway, mm. whatever. Um, pets are amazing and, uh, you know, that's just me. Mm. All right. Let me see. You've got some more text messages here. Alzheimer's, Russian breakthrough. That's really good news. We all know someone suffering with it and mm. the suffering of the families involved. May God bless it. Mm. So we've got to pray for the Russians over there as they continue to research uh, ways of getting rid of Alzheimer's. Okay, as far as I know, humans are the only species, and this is in relationship to your story about geese and how yeah. they mate for life, are the only species that divorce. Oh, so there's some species that are just completely not monogamous, but if a species... Yeah, I mean, your, your dog, for instance, your pet dog is going to pretty much mate with anything. But if a species... Any, any, any other dog that it can. So it doesn't have, you know, a mate for life kind of thing. We do have some species that do mate for life, but we don't have any that divorce. Yeah, so if a species does mate for life, it doesn't leave. That's what I'm kind of thinking. Wow. Interesting. If you know of a species that practices divorce other than humans, we'll give you a pat on the back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Please. Uh, Maybe we can learn something from them. Mm. Interesting. Okay, the uh, deleted interview off of YouTube, teaching children to break the commandments of God. Can you imagine what judgment God will will do to them? A millstone will be placed around their necks and... Oh, this is heavy. Thrown into the deepest ocean before then they will suffer the seven last plagues, then hell, judgment. Okay, yeah, they're going <laughs> to suffer. Somebody's not holding back right here. Yeah. Um, the, the the reality is that forgiveness and grace is available to every mm. single person. We need to remember that and we need to pray for people. The Bible says that we need to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us, mm. do good to uh, those who are hateful towards us, and that's the response that we should have. But as the person, the text points out here, judgment belongs to God. Where, where did it, like with the whole YouTube thing, it's a bit of a unique situation because YouTube is a private platform, and they can it is. put any parameters they that's right. want. They can. But they then, own at the, it. but then at the same time, people say, "Oh, but because so many people use it, it you know, it's, it's it's become public. It's become public. It's too big to be, you know, held in the private sector. We should then give it to a country." But then I think, like, did, but then if you give it to a country, it's going to be controlled by that country's narrative. Yeah, and then as well, it's like, oh, but, you know, it's it's. It, but then people make the point that it's sketchy because of that, and it's like, oh, you know, you can't get news. I think out, one of the reasons then, why people see it as being sketchy is because it doesn't have competition. Like, you don't have. Um, uh, you know, the Australian versus the, um, what's the other one? You know, you, you, you the, imagine. You, the you Morning know, Herald. Yeah. Yeah, you, the, the, yeah, the Sydney Morning Herald or something like that, uh, where you've got your left and your right. But but this is you've the. You've only got YouTube. This is the point, is that what, what my thought is that every news source ever in history has censorship in it. Absolutely. Because they're all private. They're all private. They're all yeah. private. They're, well, they're, yeah. You know, and even the government owned ones, like we have a government owned one here in Australia, and it only goes one direction. Yeah. Like it's not there's no such thing as neutral news. But what you do have in those 
uh, media sources that have been around forever is two sides of the story. Mm. Because you can read the left and you can read the right mm. and then you can make up your own mind. Whereas with YouTube, there's only one YouTube. Yes, but that's the thing. Both sides can be on that platform. But you, YouTube can censor one side over the yeah, other. Yeah, this is true. Whereas if there was another YouTube, then you could choose, you know. Yeah, Vimeo. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Vimeo had their opportunity back in the day. They, they did. Could have done they it. did. They could have been great. They got their two noses, their noses too high in the sky. Mm. All right. Um, another one here. Are we not like cockies? Do we not see and copy what we see? Let's be careful what we see. We become a reflection of what we see if we look long enough. That's actually a Bible principle. Mm. Um, I can read that one to you. The Bible actually says that. Mm. It says that we're like cockies. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read it to you. It's in First Corinthians. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just thinking it's like, as the, as the cockatoo flies and sees, so, so do we. Second Corinthians. Not I believe so. I, what, are the, what verse are you looking for? Chapter 3, verse 18. Mm. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory, or as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image mm. from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. It's a it's a rule of the mind that what you focus on, what your mind focuses on, is what you become like. Mm. And so if you focus on good things, you will become good. If you focus on evil things, you'll become evil. If you focus on angry things, you'll become angry. Yeah. And I think that we need to be careful that we don't, you know, we need to be careful with the media that we consume. Mm. If you focus on negative things, you're going to become negative. It's very easy in the in, in, in the media, in the consumption of media, to focus on negative things mm. and to focus on things that make us angry. And it's very easy for the media to put that kind of material out because that's what gives them good ratings and yeah. so forth. But it's not necessarily healthy. It's so we need to know what's going on. Don't get me wrong. Which is why we have serious news here on Faith FM, mm. but we also have positive news. And this is like it's a it's a scientific uh, discovery that found that uh, humans have negative bias or negativity bias. That that's why those headlines catch so much attention. You know that that are really terrible to yeah. point out something. We are drawn to negative humans things. Humans have negativity bias, and and I feel like this is just an evidence of our kind of bentedness towards towards. Yeah, sin. it's like yeah, absolutely. We love explain that negative things, and it's like. Or, or it, it attracts our attention, nonetheless. Yes. And I so, mean, you think about you think about entertainment, yeah, media, mm. okay, negative bias. Yes, name me anything that is entertainment me, me, entertainment media right now that doesn't have a negative bias somewhere. It's either relationship based or it's violence based, yeah, or a mixture of both, um, or there's theft, or there's a heist, or there's a murder, or there's well, that's a because as humans, like we're drawn to tension as well. Tension, and, extremes, and negativity. Yeah, but then it it, it kind of goes both ways because there are some of us, well, some people who uh, just revel in the negativity. But then ultimately, like what makes a movie really great is when they can resolve the tension mm-hmm. in in a satisfying way, and that that's kind of just a microcosm of the world we we live in and the kind of story that we see in the Bible and the, the reality that, that we are kind of a part of and we see unfolding is that, yeah, we are in an inherent tension and negativity biased world. And, but we're looking forward to a resolve. So, uh, um, Freco has just texted back through in relationship to cockies and what I said about, you know, things not being in cages and so forth. Mm. And he says, same here. Nothing should be caged except Satan. 
I like that. I like that. Well <laughs> done, so Franco. You go. Uh, that's fantastic stuff. Let's mm. turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And we're going to look at a bit of a contrast here this morning as we get started into our Bible study. So that is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Oh, just quickly, before we get into it, we have a winner for the quiz. Oh, awesome. Shout out, Michael from Kurumong. Fantastic well yes. job. Won the album. Of course, the answer in the end was First Thessalonians. Uh, if you guessed that or you thought that, good on you. And uh, I don't think we're going to have the time to do another quiz to, today. And unfortunately, it's the end of the week, too. So you're going to have to, if you don't want to win a prize, you want to do a quiz. Next week. You're going to have to wait till next Monday. All right, Lyle, we are, gonna, we are turning to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And the Bible says. When the cool evening breeze uh, breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to them, uh, called to the man, "Where are you?" He replied, "I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid and I was afraid because I was naked." Who told you you were naked? The Lord God said, "Have you eaten of the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat?" No, 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 we, we can stop there. Okay. Okay, so when Adam and Eve sin, what do they do? They hide. They hide. Mm. Which is kind of weird because they're hiding from God. From God. And God calls out to them. He's like, where are you guys? Like, he knew where they were all, the, all along. Yeah. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to compare that now with what David did when he sinned because initially he hid, didn't he? Mm. He hid behind his own lies and his own deeds, and he, he, he hid behind murder. But when he was convicted of his sin, what does he do? So we're going to go over to Psalms chapter 51 again, and we're going to spend a bit of time there today. So Psalms 51, that's probably going to be our major focus of our Bible study today. Psalms 51, verse 11 and 12. All right, just turning there now. Psalms 51, 11 and 12. Just got to turn over a couple pages. Psalms 51, 11 and 12, the Bible says, Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Okay, so there's a very different attitude here, isn't there? Mm. It starts off with, do not do what? Do not um, banish me from your presence. Okay, so when you look at Adam and Eve, you get the impression that the one thing that they wanted more than anything else was to be banished from the presence of God. Yes. It's like, we don't want to have anything to do with God right now. Mm. Have you ever had that kind of experience when you were a kid and you did something bad and you wished your dad or mum was like on the other side of the planet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or you wish you were on the other side of the planet. Yeah, one like, or the other. doesn't that, matter which. One or the other. You know, you're standing there in the lounge room and, you know, for me, this is this is how every, like every day played out is that I've gotten to some scrap with my sisters about something, whether it's food or the TV or whatever, and I'm always the one to get in trouble because I'm the boy. And so <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm getting, you know, lectured by my parents or something or I'm, you know, gonna get some kind of punishment. And I'm like, I just want to leave this house. I'm never <laughs> coming back. This is so unfair. Well, my sisters never get in trouble. Oh yeah. Well that's that's like 
That's where Adam and Eve are at. They're like, we need we need Lawson sisters to call in right now. <laughs> Just confirm whether. This oh is no, true. no, don't. Was, was, don't was, let them call in, please. Was Lawson the only one who ever got in trouble? I really want to know. No, it wasn't that I was the only one who ever got in trouble. That was true, but secondarily, <laughs> I don't. I just don't want them to talk about me as a child. <laughs> Because I was naughty. Like, I was naughty. All right. Who would ever have thought? I couldn't imagine. (laughs) Ever had that experience when you've done something naughty and it's got nothing to do with your sisters and you've got that, like, massively guilty conscience? And you're just like, I don't want to see my parents. I just, you know, like. Oh, dude, yeah. Uh I remember remember this as a kid. I remember specific circumstances as a kid where, you know, I've been caught doing something that I knew was wrong. And and, and you kind of look at your your mum like, I'm just going to pretend like she doesn't know. <laughs> and, of course, she takes one look and there's, like, just massive guilt written all over yeah. your face and she knows exactly what's going on and she's like, Lyle, what did you do? <laughs> and it's like, oh. Nothing. And then you start crying. <laughs> didn't, yeah, that's right. You say nothing. You say nothing and then you got tears, like, streaming down your face. <laughs> or you're just like, it, it depends. If you, like, feel really bad, then you'll cry. But if you're, like, really trying to hide it, if you're some kind of sociopath, then you're just, like, deadpan. And they, but they just they still know. Parents know. Parents always know. The Bible says, be sure, you're, be sure your sin will find you out. Mm. And uh, probably the best illustration of that that you can ever have is being a parent. Yeah, well. And seeing your kids try and hide sins from you and then think about how you try and hide sins from God. Yeah. Because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And, uh, well, that's kind of, you know, when we try and hide sins from God, it's kind of like our three-year-old trying to hide sin from us. Mm. Okay, so David takes a very different view here. He's like, don't banish me. He says, I want to be in your presence. Mm. So why does David want to be in God's presence after he has uh, such a... Um, you know, an incredible sense of guilt and so mm. forth. You know, Adam and Eve, stay as far away from God as possible. David, don't banish me. I want to be as close as possible. I think we noted yesterday and kind of acknowledged that David understood that he, particularly as a king, someone with lots of pressure and, and struggles and responsibilities and whatnot, is like sin is a slippery slope for him. If he goes on the path to sin, like, he will end up like Saul before him. Do you think that David had the same understanding of, sorry, that Adam and Eve had the same understanding of the love of God that we do when they first sinned? Um, I think it could go both ways. It's like, oh, you know, they lived in the garden. They had everything so perfect. And they were face-to-face with God. They were face-to-face. But then at the same time, it's like, you know. Did Adam and Eve have the understanding of God dying as a sacrifice mm. as our Redeemer? Did they have that when they sinned? Yeah, when they sinned, no. No. They hadn't did, had that experience. Did David have the understanding of a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And he had that through the sacrifice of the Lamb. Mm. Do we have... A different perspective from David. Yeah, even more so. Even more so. Like even and, and more so, I mean, yeah, greater. We have a greater perspective than David. Yes. And so you've got Adam and Eve who have no perspective on a sacrificing saviour. Mm. And they hide. You have David who does have a perspective 
on a sacrificing savior and he runs to God. Mm. But his perspective is just a shadow compared to what you and I have. Yeah, it's limited to a lamb. That's right, it's limited to a lamb. Ours is not limited to a lamb. We have the historical reality of God coming to this earth Mm. and giving his life for us and dying on Calvary for us. How much more so should we run to God? Yeah, wow. When we are dealing with the conviction of sin. And the reality is, like, Jesus on the cross shows us that God esteems you as a broken and sinful person. He values your life higher than his own. Yes. Even in your current state as a sinner. You know, like, a lot of people say, oh, God loves us because of our potential. You know, he sees what we can become. And for sure, no, God loves us already. Of course, God hates sin. God wants to do away with sin. He that's how much but that's the thing. That's how much he loves us. He sees us as like sinful, messed up people. Like there's so many people and, and I'll just be honest, like there's so many people in life that are really hard to love. Like yeah, it's you know, and Lyle, you probably understand this being a, a husband, I hope, and uh, you know, looking at looking at Shell, I hope she understands this, you know. You're married to someone and you know, you go through ups and downs and trials and struggles and whatnot, but like you know, you guys chose to be together, your husband and wife. It's, like, cute and amazing. You have kids and a life together and everything like that. Um, but there are people that aren't in that position in your life. You know, people that you're related to, whatever it may be. You didn't choose them, um, and yet you have to love them. And it's hard. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm, you know, the all-loving, all-amazing person. I don't think anyone should because it's hard to love people. Um, who, you know, it's hard to love people who don't benefit us. Like, let's be honest. Like, mm. this is true. Um, but God is that, like, ultimate quintessential example of that, of loving someone in spite of it. Absolutely. And it's amazing. Yeah, and, and, and this is what we find really hard to understand is how God loves the most vile sinners that there are. Mm. Uh, we've got a text message come through that gives a really good illustration of this because it outlines just how low humanity can go, and yet God loves these people too. We're going to read after uh, we have this song. Uh- You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Hmm. Okay, so we're talking about the love of God, uh-huh. and we're talking about who God, who Jesus died for. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got this text message that comes through from one of our listeners it says, I was watching a program which mentioned that this criminal group sold into sexual slavery 17,000 girls and women in one year. Wow. They made $300,000 each during their uh, lives of forced prostitution. That would have been money for the... Uh, well, anyway, whatever. That equates to $5.1 billion for the love of money. Uh, suffering of these women became irrelevant. These criminals have become demons. And Jesus died for all of them too. Mm. Talk about amazing love. Mm. And this is the simple reality is you can have somebody like that who's we would we would consider as the worst of the worst of the worst humans on the planet. Mm. And yet Jesus died for that person. And if they come to God in the way that David came to God, they will receive forgiveness as well. Mm. And if you're listening today and you feel like you've done some really horrific, terrible stuff, if you come to God in the way that David came to God, you can find forgiveness as well. You might not, you, 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 you won't miss out on the consequences of that sin. You'll probably end up in jail and serving time and all that kind of stuff as well. 
but you can have peace in your heart because you've found forgiveness, you've found cleansing, you've found a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and, and it's because like the reality of sin is as much as we are perpetrators, we are also terrible victims. Like the worst perpetrator of sin is also a victim. Are they responsible for their actions? Yeah. Hundred percent. Like you know, we talked about this with David himself. Like, was David responsible for his sin? Even if Bathsheba was the most terrible of temptresses, yes. Like David is always, and we are always personally accountable. But it's like you know, because people ask the question, "Oh, well, why would God forgive us? Why would God forgive us?" And it's because we are a victim of this environment that we're placed into of terrible sin. And he knows. He's like, man, I can bring you to an environment where there is no more sin. You know, it's like, you know, you take the same kid and put them in two different environments and one they'll flourish, the other they won't. You know, this is the world that we look at when God knows, oh man, if I could just put them in the right place, they would flourish. But what does that take? A decision from us today to be forgiven by God. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. That's it right there. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 51. Where did we get up to? Uh, Verse 12. Let's read verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13, then I will teach your ways, uh, your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Okay, I want just I want you to focus on what on where David is going to from mm. here. So he's saying, "Don't banish me," and 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 when you don't banish me, so that I can stay with you. I'm going to be able to share this story with others. Mm. That's that. That's in a nutshell. Is I'm going to be able to sing about it. I'm going to be able to testify it of it. I'm going to be able to share the story of your grace with those around me because I have experienced that grace. And that's exactly what David does. Mm. You know, and two and a half thousand, three thousand years later, we're still talking about the story of David, and we're still talking about the grace that he experienced. Mm. And the forgiveness that he experienced, while at the same time looking at the terrible consequences that that sin brought, mm. and this is the this is the contrast between the two. Sin has its natural consequences, things that naturally happen as a result of it. The Bible says, "Before be sure your sin will find you out, and when it finds you out, you know the the results of that are going to be terrible." Yeah, well, but the Bible says that uh, when we experience grace, we have a story to tell. Mm. And this is what you find is that people who have experienced this kind of grace, they do have a story to tell and they love to tell that story. And you'll find them telling their testimony over and over and over again of what God has done in their lives. Mm. All right, let's uh, let's continue on there. What else have we got? Uh, Where did we get up to? Uh, We got up to verse uh, 15. It continues on in verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Why does the Bible say that? Why does David say you don't desire a sacrifice? He sinned. Doesn't Mm. that mean that he needs to bring a sacrifice? Well, I believe like the sacrifice was only for unintentional sin. It was. He can't bring a sacrifice for this. Mm. There is no sacrifice that provides for what David did. Yeah. And you can read this. If you read about, you know, you go back to Leviticus. Let me find this for you real quick. Uh, The sin offering. There was no sacrifice that was provided for a sin when you knew it was a sin. Mm. The sin offering provided an object lesson for how God deals with all sin. But it only provided for sins of ignorance. And, And that makes sense. 
because if it was any other way, then people could consider a sin they wanted to do. And like, let's say I want to go and murder this guy down the street. Well, the problem is that's going to cost me a lamb. I'm going to have to bring a lamb as a sacrifice to receive forgiveness for that. Let me see. Do I have enough lambs to afford it? Mm. That's how it would work. Mm. And that would be a total farce of the yeah. sacrificial system. And God wasn't designing that kind of a system. God, that's not who God, you know, God is not dumber than human beings yeah. are. And God says, so God says, no, the sacrifice is for sins of ignorance only. Uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do any against them, then they will bring the sacrifice. And goes on to detail how mm. that sacrifice was to be brought. And so there was no there was no sacrifice that you could bring for a sin if you knew it was a sin before you committed it. Yeah. Did David know this was a sin? Yeah. Before he committed it. Yeah. That's why he tried to cover it up. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't a sin, if it was ignorance, he wouldn't have tried to cover it up. Mm. And this is why David says, I can't bring a sacrifice for this. I, mm. I would love to. I wish I could. And if I could, I'd be there in a heartbeat. I'd have a sacrifice. I'd have it done. Mm. He says, but I know you do not desire a sacrifice for this sin Mm. because this is not something that he did unintentionally, accidentally, ignorantly, without realizing he was doing it. This was a sin that David went into with his eyes open. Okay, so if that's the case and the Bible provides no sacrifice in the sacrificial system for sins that we know are sins, and and the reality is that he kind of, uh, being human beings, regularly commits sins that we know are sins. Mm. How do we receive forgiveness for that? The passage you just read gives the answer. Why don't you read it for us again? Yeah, it says, You do not desire a sacrifice, this is verse 16, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Okay. This is interesting. David outlines here where forgiveness is found. Forgiveness Mm. is found through repentance. Mm. The word repentance simply means to be sorry, being sorry for your sin, coming to God and confessing that sin as David has done. Mm. A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise, it says in my translation. And the only way that somebody in Old Testament times could receive forgiveness of a sin that they knew was wrong was by repentance Mm. and confession Mm. in exactly the same way that you and I receive forgiveness. I mean, let's face it, if there had been a sacrifice for sins that were not sins of ignorance, you would would very quickly run out of opportunities to sacrifice because you'd sacrifice all your animals and and, and the temple would never be able to deal with that kind of quantity. Mm. So the sacrifice was there to illustrate how God deals with all sin, but it only provided for ignorant sin. David recognizes that, and he recognizes that his forgiveness has come about as a result of his repentance and confession of his sin. May we all do the same. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It uh, has come time for... Question of the Day. 
All right, Lyle, our question of the day, and I believe this was inspired a little bit by, you know, some of the goings-on in the N.Digital at the moment. Yeah, this, the, was, this was a question that came through live last night on the N.Digital. All right, we're going to answer it this morning, live in the studio, and it is, what does it mean to be present with... Uh, to be pr- absent from the body. Absent from... No, yeah, I was getting there. Absent from the body, but present with the Lord. Yes. I was going to say that. What, is, what does this passage actually mean uh, when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether we are, oh, sorry, verse, uh, where are we, 8? We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so some people can, can, can conclude from this that uh, the only way we can accomplish this is by our soul, a disembodied soul, leaving the body and being united with Jesus mm. Christ. Uh, of course, they ignore the context. And you've got to read the first five verses because the first five verses explain everything that is going on right here. Mm. So we're going to read those first five verses because Paul is actually saying the opposite of that. In fact, not only is he saying the opposite of that, he is actually specifically in this passage counteracting Plato's theory, the Greek Hellenistic uh, pagan theory of the disembodied soul. Mm. So let's watch what it says. In verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this body was dissolved, we have a building, a house of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so here Paul talks about two different houses, a house that is here on earth, a house that is in heaven. Mm. In other words, we have two different bodies, a body that is here on earth, a body that is in heaven. He goes on, for in this, in this body, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our house which is in heaven. Mm. So we groan in this body, wanting to have the body that uh, is available to us in heaven. Now, the Bible tells us what that body will look like in Philippians. Let me just flick over there very quickly. Chapter 3 and verse 21, where it says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Mm. So the Bible describes the body that we re- we will receive in heaven, a body like Jesus has. And you can read Revelation chapter 1, for instance, to get a description of Jesus in his glorified body. And this is why, you know, if you compare what Jesus is like in Revelation 1, this is why Paul's like, yeah, I'd much rather have that body. This one has lots of issues. Okay, then we go to verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. And so here is where he specifically addresses uh, the, the, the concept, the, the platonic, the, the, the Greek pagan concept of being unclothed, in other words, having a disembodied soul. He says, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed that mortality might be swallowed up of life. He says, we're not groaning so that we want to become a disembodied soul. No, 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 no. It's not that. We want to be clothed with the body that is from heaven. Now, he that wrought for us, the selfsame thing is God, who is also has given us the promise of his spirit. Therefore, we are always confident knowing this, that while we are at home in this body, or in the body, this body, we are absent from the Lord. So the flesh that we have right now, yes, we can't be in the presence of God. We understand that. We walk by faith, not by sight. Wherefore, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body. And in context, that means this body to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. And so when Paul speaks about being absent from the body, he's not being absent from a body. He's talking about being absent from this body. And he specifically says that uh, we, will, we don't want to be found naked um, 
verse 3, if so being that clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, a disembodied soul has no house, therefore it is a naked soul. And Paul says very, very clearly, no, we're not going to be found without a body. That that state is not going to exist. He specifically goes after uh, Plato in this instance and addresses it very, very clearly right there. Then all there is left is the timing. When does this take place? Well, the Bible says uh, very clearly. Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 15, at the last trump, we shall all be changed. For the trumpet shall sound, we shall be changed. This corrupt- corruption will put on incorruption. Mm. This mortal will put on immortality, and then will be brought to pass the saying that is that death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? That's- Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.